welcome back to the podcast of Wednesday's Child. We thought for this episode we'd pick something really quite timely because in the next few weeks undoubtedly there will be an awful lot of people either heading off to university for the first time or returning to their studies. And for some people, that could be quite a challenge, particularly if somebody's already been through a journey with an eating disorder, somebody might feel vulnerable to issues around an eating disorder. And for families and friends, it throws up lots of issues about some should somebody return to university if they've already been poorly, or should somebody be thinking about going at all if during perhaps their high school years, they've found it really, really difficult to control their relationship perhaps with food and with exercise. So for this episode, we're gonna dive into that topic just in time for the return to the university term time. And to do so, I am joined by the wonderful Rachel, who really can give us a bird's eye view as to what it feels like, as can I to some extent, because as many of you will know, and we discussed in the last episode, that it was actually while at university that I succumbed to an eating disorder. So Rachel's going to share a lot about her journey. So hi, Rachel. Thanks for being on the episode with us. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I'm doing good. Excellent. So we're going to do a bit of reflection and we're not going to get all emotional about it, are we? But we're going to use this, I think, really to just give people some thinking space, things to consider if they are heading off to university. So take me back back a little bit to where you were. How were you in your relationship with yourself, your body, eating relationship before university became part of the picture? If I'm honest, looking back at it, back at it now... I don't think I ever really had like a good relationship, especially when I went started university. I had spent uh, probably a good few years doing high like competitive dance and things like that. Um, but I was relatively unaware of the fact that I actually had a bad relationship with kind of food and exercise and a definitely body image. So it kind of came a bit unaware because I went in thinking that it was going to be going away from home was going to be the fix and it was all going to be fine. And it, it, it just didn't turn out that way. Sounds so familiar. I can remember feeling, you know, that was going to be my perfect new fairy tale world to go to university. And and equally, I, I suppose I would share that perhaps quite quite ignorant to how worried I was about my body and myself and and my behaviors so how quickly did it start to manifest that it was a problem for you and can you kind of pinpoint that to particular actions or thoughts or things someone said or was it about routines and just the fact of having to decide to cook for yourself yeah I think it was um it was a lot more about kind of routines um and it wasn't that I had to be up at a certain time and um, have breakfast at the same time and things like that, that I've always had kind of like been quite rigid with them things. Um, and that was either because I, I needed to get to school or um, straight after school, I was going to dance or work. And there was always kind of a pattern to what I was doing. Uh, and then going forward, actually, it turned out that to everyone else, even within the first couple of weeks, they they could see that actually maybe I didn't eat the same as everyone else, and I would get I wouldn't eat in the kind of the kitchen area. I would go to my room, 
So I'd cook something, go to my room. And I would, I would never eat in front of any of them. And it would be at different times to them. So I'd wait until people weren't in the kitchen or anything like that. And to me, it was it was normal. I didn't I didn't know that that actually was a bit of a red flag. Right. So when did you start to become cognizant that actually, hold on, this this is an issue, Rach. This isn't normal. I'm the only one taking my food off to my room. If I'm honest, it was the end of first year. I had probably gone most of first year with these kind of uh, I'd say maybe a little bit like quirks to what I was doing okay um, and I think to most people that's the time that people learn how to cook and maybe they're not eating kind of what their parents would have been making them so it wasn't it, it wasn't a massive issue until maybe I got into I was more stressed with the amount of work I had um I'm quite a perfectionist so I was starting to kind of internalize everything and that was when actually I realized that there was more of an issue than I maybe first thought and I think that was where kind of restriction came in um and exercise but I almost went a full year without it being kind of detected by myself so detected by yourself, but also I suppose if you were, at least for the most part, away from family and friends, the the very people that were around you and seeing you all the time were people that were less used to Rachel. They didn't know what Rachel's patterns, behaviours were. Do you think there was an element that I think can be dangerous in university when we make new friendships? We're not close enough to those people for them to say, to call you out on things. It's not like we've spent the last 10 years at school with them. So they can call you out and say, Rach, that's not you. Stop it. You know, we, you know, don't do that. It's, it's different, isn't it? When you're trying to develop new relationships with people at university. Yeah, I definitely think so. Cause I'm quite an outgoing person. Uh, and to them, actually, I was quite a shy person. And I think it was because I, I'd gone away from kind of all of my friends, all of my family. And that's good to kind of push my boundaries. But I think in that circumstance that they maybe weren't my best friends. They weren't the people who I would talk to every day. And I was put with a group of people who ordinarily I don't think I would have been best, I would, would have been friends with. So past kind of odd passings in the corridor it it wasn't like these people were ever really going to get to know me that well yeah so no true emotional connection with anything which perhaps speaks to the fact of sometimes that's where an eating disorder has the gap to come in because we're missing some kind of emotional food and love and nurture and that sabotaging of the eating disorder voice has space to breed inside us yeah definitely I think because they weren't the people who I I had that connection with the people who actually I had I did have a deeper connection with and became my very close friends they weren't there when actually I um I was eating or making meals most of the time they were the ones who were going to lectures with me or going out to an event 
most of the things that kind of were an issue, especially at that point, they they weren't there for, they weren't seeing. Right. So when did it become a problem? When did somebody have to step in? Was it to do with you perhaps going home and seeing family? Was that because often sometimes someone goes home for Christmas and family become really aware. Was it that or was it somebody else on campus medically wise or in welfare? What was it that said, hold on, we've got an issue here? Um, It was actually one of my friends from placement who, like I say, we we moved away together into um, kind of placement accommodation. And at that point, I was spending all of my time with her. Right. So we were going to placement together and we were then sharing um, a flat for, I think it was six weeks. At that point, she was like, as she said, there's something isn't right here. Um, and I think I was then spending more time exercising, less time talking to her. Um, and she would actually see what I was cooking. Right. And I think then that started to ring alarm bells. But from the family side of it I just I wasn't ringing them regularly I wasn't talking to them they were noticing a change in my behavior before they noticed anything physically okay what so you were becoming you were retreating a little bit more into yourself perhaps yeah I think I in now thinking about it now probably I knew that somebody was going to say something someone would notice the change that I was I was most snappy and I just I didn't want to have a conversation with people it just took up too much energy so I didn't I didn't call home I didn't check in with my sister um and I think that's they noticed that at first or anything else yeah when did it become so serious that somebody had to step in and do something? I think it became it became quite serious before anyone did step in, or at least anyone who could do anything. Um, so it was at the end of first year that, especially that friend was saying, "There's something. There's something the matter." With, like. Can somebody, can someone talk to her? Like, I don't know what's going on. So your friend, um, hold on, your, your friend was sort of reaching out and, and wanting somebody to help, help her help you almost. There was almost that sort of, I don't know myself enough what to do, so I need somebody else to help. And I think there's a really good takeaway from that. So if anybody's listening to this and finds themselves in the next few weeks and months with a flatmate or something, it is really difficult, isn't it? I mean, I mean, you know, let's face it, to talk to somebody who's going through an eating disorder and expect a decent conversation with the snappiest person on the planet who is starving themselves is in a really bad place and you think you're going to have a rational conversation. Well, good luck to that. So, so I can see why your friend said, I'm really alarmed, I'm really worried, but I need to bring in someone else here. So, I'm, I'm, you know, I can see why that was her thinking. Yeah, and I feel really sorry for her now if for the fact that she actually stuck around and she she said no actually this isn't this isn't her this isn't who the person I've known for a year um and actually she she just kept saying like somebody like what's going on there's something going on um and unfortunately it was missed for a while um 
but until I went away over the summer break and then my family started noticing more things but I think again to them it was oh well she's more interested in going running then say I, I I did a lot of dance so they would give to me doing a lot of activity so was, she wants to go running or anything like that or so they just thought you I, found a different activity to focus on yeah I think they they were worried that it was the wrong thing and I was trying to do the wrong things but I think to a point like I was an adult they didn't want to be saying well you can't and can't be doing this yeah but I know after having conversations with my mom now, she said sending well, me going back for that second year, she was concerned. And I think the start of that second year was definitely when it spiraled massively for me. I think the first year it, it was an issue, but second year was where it really began for me. Um I think there was I put a lot more stress on me. And it just it seemed just to get worse from there and by all accounts you stuck it out you tried to carry on and it didn't end well did it no um I got through probably half of the second year and then ended up um in hospital and spending quite a lot of what is valuable lecture time in hospital and going back and forth to appointments um with the GP because actually I was really struggling to get any other kind of help anyway um, because of like criterias and things like that in the area so I was quite ill before I could ha- even try and access help so I think it, it was quite it was quite a difficult time because I just wanted to continue I didn't think there was anything the matter but now I see that actually I could have ended up just not being able to finish my my degree at all. I, I did definitely didn't give myself a chance to even try and get better. It was just that focus constantly. Like you said before, you know, that perfectionist trait in you wanting to just, oh, I'll get this done, I'll complete this, I'll achieve this, rather than focusing on, actually, I've got a terrifying illness here and I really need to face up to it and tackle it. So yeah. can you recall how how able you felt to actually reach out to the university themselves or did you feel it had to be explored external to that via sort of other kind of healthcare services? Was there any level of shame or whatever or was it just about resource that you didn't think you could you could just get help internally? Um, no, it was a... The, the same friend who obviously had, was a very big part of my kind of university journey, she really didn't give me a choice whether to tell the university. We all um, need one of them. We all need a friend like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. So it was a, I'm going, you can either come with me and explain what's going on or but th- there really wasn't an option. So I, and I didn't want somebody talking about me and what I what was going on if I wasn't there so that was my option um but that was that was probably the first couple of weeks of second year and whether it was through 
not understanding or not wanting to admit that there was an issue there wasn't a lot of help that I could access within university I think they just they just kind of wanted me to just continue and if I'm honest it, it wasn't the right thing for me and it wasn't the right thing for even I mean I was in a healthcare degree so I was having to go to placements it wasn't I don't at this point now I realize it probably wasn't the best thing for me to be doing that at all um and I was I was getting physically very ill um so it just wasn't it got to a point where I couldn't like my body wouldn't let me before actually the university stepped in and said yeah we're gonna have to do something about this so I kind of wish there was more support for me but at that time there wasn't you'd like to think I mean we're a few years on from that you'd like to think perhaps universities have learned more you know and and maybe they're not so fixated on only identifying issues around I don't know what somebody's weight is or how somebody looks or how severely unwell someone seems to be I I don't know whether that's true at every university around the country but I'd like to think there's a bit of improvement there yeah I think since I like um I was quite close with one of my lecturers and since then I know she's worked hard to actually educate herself on it all because it wasn't anything that she ever thought that she would have to be thinking about especially with all of the students that she'd been looking after and I think now they're realizing that the mental health of the students is probably just as important as their students academically and I know that especially that group of lecturers have spent a long time kind of going through mental health first aiders and and doing different courses to actually make sure that they're equipped for anything that kind of the cohort brings to them yeah so I know that things have changed from that front especially in the degree that I was doing I think they've worked hard to do it that's really good to hear so what would you say now to somebody that was in your position then and didn't feel they were being heard or you know felt like they were having to try you know it was too difficult to try and get the kind of help you needed could or is it I mean you'd be honest with me is it even looking back I mean cognitively you wouldn't have been in a great place at that point arguably perhaps you wouldn't have been able to even if you'd known what it said on paper you should do would you have found that too difficult to to pursue a particular route yeah I think I was very lucky to find like a support network so I was very lucky to find people who actually helped me so it wasn't even in the times when I cognitively wasn't I wasn't there there were people who I knew were gonna be fighting my corner if somebody said well you don't you don't meet a criteria we can't help you well I knew that that person was then gonna say well no you are gonna help and friends who actually 
guess caught me a bit of slack to know that actually this wasn't how I normally would be and they were going to be there whatever and actually came to some of my doctor's appointments when I just didn't want to go that's um, amazing wow so, so people that can kind of advocate for you but support you through and and be that kind of you know cheerleader when you most need it yeah and even I mean even though I I did move quite far away from my family and now I think back at it I was horrible to them <laughs> like I feel so sorry for them but they were there like if I, when I did call them they were there and yeah now I know that I put them through a lot of stress but actually if I had called them and said I need I need you to come down they would they would just just been there at any point they would have driven the five hours and came and seen me how do you feel about universities having the right to contact because there's always the argument, isn't there, that when you go to university, if you're over 18, strictly speaking, the university don't need to tell your parents or other kind of family members about your mental health and well-being. How do you feel about that? And would you have railed against it had the university have said to you at that time, particularly given you'd moved so far away, that they wanted to have your mum in particular involved in that care pathway? How would you have felt about that? I would have been... I just, they would have lost my trust right. they really would have um and that may have been because I I was ill and I couldn't think straight yeah. but actually they would have lost my trust at that point because I had made that decision I was doing it on my own and if if I'm honest I think if I had gone home when maybe if all started I probably wouldn't be in such like I wouldn't be the same person I am today because then I would have relied on somebody else yeah so I am glad that actually it was left up to me because that's then made me more resilient to know that actually I've done this I've done this myself I haven't had somebody holding my hand all the time but in the same sense actually I do think there is a space for family members to know what's going on, especially if it gets to the point where they are drastically ill. I mean, I'm not proud of saying this, but I spent four weeks in hospital and my family didn't know that I was in hospital. No one had to legally tell them. No, nobody nobody had to tell them. And it was only when I decided that I'd had enough and actually my the nurse at my GP surgery kind of talked me into telling them that I actually told them that at that moment I was in hospital quite ill wow. and that's that I can only be well I know it is I know it's really hard for my family to I think I lost a bit they lost a bit of trust with me because uh, I should have told them. So I think at that moment, they probably, like, somebody should have told them. I obviously wasn't in the right headspace, so. It speaks of how ill you were, that those were the decisions you were making at the time. You felt it was better to keep it as your secret than to reach out to the very people that knew you most, knew you better than anybody. 
yeah you ultimately you know you lost if you like effectively the majority of that second year of university and but yeah you did resume your studies and then stormed through your degree and you know you've you've moved on and, and have made an amazing start to your healthcare career what are the kind of biggest things that you look back on and say to somebody else you know do this don't do this I would this I would never have this are there any things that you just think if you were in the shoes of somebody now going to university what what would you most want to stress to them make sure that you're you're doing you're making these decisions for you I mean start when I first went to university I wasn't doing it because I wanted to do it I was doing it to make other people happy and I've realized that relatively recently but also if you have got yourself into a situation where you're struggling a it's not it's not a bad thing to admit it because I think you'll find that there'll be hundreds of other people who are also having a bad time and actually need to talk to someone. You're not actually as alone as you think you are. Also, if you get yourself into a situation where maybe you've got to that stage where you are very physically ill or even if you haven't, you've just got, you know that you're not doing well and you think, I've got to keep going, I've got to keep going, university is going to be there next year and you you're not failing yourself if anything you're you're listening to yourself I spent so long not listening to actually what I needed that I was just constantly going because it would make other people happy that actually now I look back and I think I should have just taken the time to listen to what I wanted and to understand what was going to make me better and make me the person who I wanted to be and is that the big shift for you now like when we look at Rachel today are you living for Rachel you're learning to trust who Rachel is and how Rachel feels yeah I think so I think that's the the part of the journey that I'm at right now and I think it's going to be ever-changing but I'm not in the space where I'm struggling with kind of exercise and food as much. Um, I think that learning to listen to myself and learning to kind of value my own opinion, that's what I'm working on now. And actually, I have seen more of a change in myself since I've started working on them things than maybe I did in the past kind of like two years plus doing all of the other stuff because actually that was just the base but this is kind of this is what I say building the house like this is the roof like this is the thing that's going to keep me going and the fact that actually I know what I want and I'm not trying to make other people happy if if I'm in a job I don't want to do then I know that I can just say well I'll go and find something else I'll go and find something that I enjoy that makes me happy that gives me a purpose that's amazing I feel I feel almost a bit shivery <laughs> hearing you speak about that because one thing I haven't said on the episode so far is I got to know you a couple of years ago now but you know have, I've 
been the kind of befriender kicking you up the backside at different stages <laughs> over the last few years, haven't I? Let's put it mildly. And, you know, your progress journey has just been phenomenal. And yeah, just sitting back and just taking those words in and hearing where you're at now, I just, yeah, I feel absolutely in awe of you. I think it's amazing. You should be so proud of yourself. Thank you so much for joining the episode today, Rach. It's been really, really lovely um, to hear your insight about going to university, what you've been through and how far you've come. And I really hope that somebody out there will take those words as real comfort and just a reminder that it's you know the thing that I will take away most from this episode is that you say about listening to yourself and I think you know if if we all did that whatever state of health if we all learn to do that a little bit more rather than this external validation by what does he she or other person that we've never even met think about us so much the better Thank you so much for listening to the latest episode of Wednesday's Child Podcast. We will be back again really soon. If you want to comment about this episode, about Rachel's incredible courage and her kind of candid nature of sharing the story so eloquently as she did, then please feel free to drop me an email. You can reach out to me at debbie at wednesdayschild.co.uk. As I say, we'll be back with another episode really very soon. But for now, stay focused on recovery. 